When you're best friends with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. Well, hey there, howdy. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for telling a friend that you hang out on the other side of Texas. I'm Jay West Texas Leeson. And across the way, little sister Lauren Huff and Queen Catherine Wilkes getting learned up in the ways of producing and putting forward a show. We're broadcasting from the West Texas Accessory Depot Studios. Go see the folks at Accessory Depot on 82nd and Valencia in Lubbock. Other side listeners, whether you're in Lubbock or not, you jump on WTAccessoryDepot.com. Or just go by the store if you're here locally and you can get a free row of WeatherTech liners with the purchase of a bed cover. Check out Brad and his guys at Accessory Depot, 806-866-9494, Our first weekday edition of Other Side of Texas. Feeling good, little sister? Feeling good about it? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I mean, I hope our listeners are as excited as we are. Because I'm... I've been pretty jacked about this. Right, exactly. I, I hope that uh, you make a habit of stopping by, hanging out with us. Uh, so, since the last time we were on, uh, well, let's see where I want to go here. Went to, last late last week, I drove to Nacogdoches. And it is crazy when you drive across the state like because there's not a good way and this is a heck of a note for somebody who's raised in hill county to say this about somewhere else like they always say about i-27 it's a Mm cul-de-sac right it just Mm -hmm. ends as a cul-de-sac as it comes down from amarillo but there isn't really a good way unless you have a jet to get to (laughs) nacogdoches yeah (laughs) that would be nice so what you want but you're louisiana mississippi Mm mm-hmm so you've made that drive. Yeah, quite a few times. But it's crazy how whenever you drive from the Caprock, you really get a topography and you feel like a better Texan because you've gone from the Caprock Prairie through the hill country, across the DFW galaxy, and then into the Pine Curtain. And then you drive, so you get all the way across Dallas and then to Tyler and then south down another hour and a half to uh, Nacogdoches which is by their own proclamation and I don't I don't know and we we just settled this thing relatively relatively recently here where we are with Quanta Parker and the whole deal but they say that that town was established in 1716 like like watch out Jamestown we're coming for you that's where Stephen F. Austin is correct yes the university yeah Mm -hmm. they've had nine flags the uh, the nine flags over Nacogdoches, 1716. Like, here's the thing where by the end of the American Revolution, Nacogdoches already had a Bucky's built and established. <laughs> like, drive the drive the chariot up, get the horse oats. Um, but big thanks, as I I would be remiss not to thank the Nacogdoches Chamber and Senator Robert Nichols, State Representative Travis Clardy. They had a Lone Star Summit. It was like this big Texas politician blowout. And um, sat on a chamber, uh, or I, I sat on a chamber, I sat on a panel there. And it really, I mean, 
what we need to do we're, we're going to have an other side of texas square pool for people to buy squares on who's going to be the next speaker of the house because everybody who's announced or is probably going to announce for the speaker of the house position uh, they were all there so you had guys that already announced like tan parker and then likely announcements like four price and and travis clarty out in Nacogdoches, drew darby out of san angelo they were all there but we were on this panel uh, that was called the polarization the polarization in politics and we were discussing you know why it's so polarized and what can be done about it and it was me and the crew it was scott braddock cornport who's going to be joining us at 5 15 here and of course there was erica greeter the houston chronicle jay root text tribune my friday co-host from now on on the other side of texas Brandon Darby was there. Brandon Darby is the chief of Breitbart, Texas. And, of course, you know me. I got up there and I do my thing. Like, if we're talking about polarization, well, if things are polarized, then you've got to look at a new construction of the way that things are to take down the polarity, change the poles up a little bit, make something else happen. So, listeners, you are first uh, first time joining us. Love it. Thank you for being here. Uh but I'm a big proponent of place. I'm a big proponent of place politics. And it's hard to be polemical with another individual. And it's hard to not see them as, as a human being when you both sit down and you say, okay, so you're a suburban rep. Or you're, you're somebody from the suburbs. We're people here from the prairie. So let's make a deal. Like politics, a place just assumes that we are going to be pragmatic and we're going to talk about the way things are. And of course, I gave the thing I always give a place carries a continuity of knowledge and passes it from generation to generation. How the place works, what makes it turn, you know, how the animals run on the place, why you don't plow up a particular part of the place, but where erosion occurs and how you start, like you learn that over generations and you learn to maintain the place, to take care of the place and it becomes a sustainable place. And whether we're talking about ranches or we're talking about uh, different aspects, different agricultural commodities, whatever they might be in production agriculture, that's especially true like with towns that have been around since 1716. Uh, settlements from that time on and settlements that were just made like eight, after 1875 when we finally took care of the Quanta Parker problem and the Comanches but when there's disruption in this continuity of what make, makes places work learning transpires by costly lessons of what the place will and will not tolerate and that's what's going on because let's be real honest for a second most of Texas was built by conservative Democrats and, and I, well, I mean politically. It, the laws that were put into place, the things that guided us, those were conservative Democrats. And we don't have them anymore. And so now it's like this tipping a point of we have these guys that, that are Republicans, but really within a historic sense are conservative Democrats. And then you got people to the right of them. And we're finding that those political solutions to the right of what should be conservative Democrats in the classical sense in Texas, what's to the right of them, uh, what they have to propose is not compatible with our history and I think is more than incompatible with our future. But we're working through this process now in Texas politics of figuring out what places will and will not tolerate, but such learning risks decline, perhaps demise. 
there I've just gone into professor, professor Lisa mode but that's what I threw down on the panel and uh, and we went from there and that deal but all that to say so tomorrow on the program we're going to have the interview that we did with Beto O'Rourke mm-hmm. and that's going to play 36 minutes I don't care where you are in the political continuum you need to hear this because while I was in Nacogdoches talking with different people I got inside, like it's so hard sometimes because we're up on the Cap Rock and we aren't inside of the Austin bubble. And But there were people over and over again who say this. Beto O'Rourke is running, he's a congressman from El Paso, he's running against Ted Cruz. You'll hear from him tomorrow here on the program. But running against Ted Cruz for Senate, he is within five points of Cruz right now. And it's April. And you have to ask yourself, well, how is he? And I don't know, like... You know, whenever you think about somebody, somebody from, like, think about your third grade teacher's little sister. Mm-hmm. What's your first memory of your favorite teacher? Like, um, the first characteristic about them that comes to mind. She was cheerful. Che- See? You didn't remember what she looked like. You didn't re- initially. Well, her smile is what made me think. But, okay, so she gave off a, a vibe that she liked you. And that's that's just, that's human science right there. Like, our favorite people... Wasn't what they looked like. Wasn't like what they smelled like. It's what they were like. And that's the problem that Cruz has right now. Is that not only do you get a sense of, I like Beto. I'm just saying the general voter. Mm-hmm. But I think Beto likes me. And that's powerful if you're a politician. Yeah, you want Like that's some that. JFK stuff right there. Exactly. Because people felt loved by JFK. You want, your, you want to feel loved by yeah. your politician. What can we do for us? What can we do for our country? And so, but all I have to say, I go to Nacogdoches. We do this thing. I'm beginning to learn that stuff about Beto. But that's not important. So, time out. Here's what Charity and I have done with our kids. Four little kids... 10, 8, 8, and 4. We had three kids in 20 months. and That's But awesome. we took up this intentionality of saying, okay, here's what we're going to do with our kids. We're never going to describe another person based upon their skin color. Now, this sounds sanctimonious. Really, it was like us driving home one night and, hey, what if we tried this? Right? And mm-hmm. so we just kept with it for 10 years. But we always describe, like, well, with another adjective, like, that guy's tall, or he's heavy, or, or she's smelly, or he's a loser, or, you know, maybe something that we don't say loser. But we use some other adjective, some other characteristic, but we have intentionally never, never cited race to our kiddos, um, ethnicity. And I think a lot of that for me is my great-grandmother was a saint of god like she could sit down and she could play any song that jimmy swaggart called up at any time on the piano like any she just knew all the hymns by her by rote memory but on the other side and this was so true like if you grew up in the 80s and 70s in texas like you got the backlash against the civil rights 64 and the backlash like people who were really disgruntled about the way that things were going and my i mean I, like, if somebody else said this about my great-grandmother, I'd punch him in the face. But she was a saint, but, boy, she could also make Archie Bunker blush whenever it came to talking about other races. Like, and it was a it was a thing. Like, the John Birch Society, she could make them all cry. Like, that's how hardcore she was. And she was a real throwback. And I know that people do this all, like, now I'm really on a tangent, but you hear people a lot of times that are like, oh, uh, 
George Mahon was a racist, so therefore we must eradicate the history. Matter of fact, in Nacogdoches, they had a panel that was talking about what to do about Confederate monuments. Mm -hmm. And people want to just go back and say, well, those people were racist, so what happened there doesn't matter at all like it all needs needs to be taken down from the record and that's like you cannot practice that sort of cultural imperialism like to be so to believe that the intellectualism that iq was created within the last 75 years and then say another period of history shouldn't matter because they were like that stuff and i'll quote king dr king the arch uh, the arc of justice bends slowly and it does. And so it is a different time. But you can't just go in and imperialize the past. And that's what's crazy, too, is that the same people who are like, well, the Democratic Party was a party of slavery are the same people who want the monuments to stand. Like, okay, you can't have it both ways. I'm for those people and not imperializing the past, being critical but not imperializing, and then let's have a conversation. About it. I'm a little sympathetic to those monuments because right. that's a part of the history. Now, look how far we've come. You know, right. since since that time. Anyhow, all I'd say I'm in Nacogdoches. People have listened to the interview. It's up on other side of Texas.com right now, and you can go listen. A lot of people have listened to it. It's gotten a lot of traffic. But I was standing around with guys one night, and one guy said, "Jay, it was you know the content was good. You actually sounded like you were smart, which is I know is a big a big thing for you to to achieve <laughs> to get, to make that impression." But he said. The, the my main problem with that whole thing is that you kept on saying Beto. I said, well, that's his name, Beto. He said, no, it's not Beto, it's Beto. Beto. You had to say Beto, and like with the Spanish slur and all. Right. And, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now look, I've never pointed out race to my kids. I'm not a racist in any way, but don't give me this. I got to call him Beto because that may be the way that he, like, I like Beto. He's a good dude, but I'm not going to do that. Like, give me a break. I will do it to this. This is what I told him. I will call him Beto or anybody else who has some weird thing. I say weird. It's not different. It's not weird. It's just different. Okay. So, but I'll give them that if they'll say, well, you, you, we thank you very much for coming on the show, Jay. Like, they'll say Jay like I say Jay. Like, then, okay, we can have some cultural reciprocity. Anyhow, oh, it, my God. It took me being behind <laughs> the pine curtain to figure all this out. Uh, all that audio tomorrow up on other side of tech. Well, it's up there now. We're going to play it tomorrow on the program. Set up the program for you, Scott Braddock. Are you? I was just talking about being behind the pond curtain. Well, you had a lot of fun out there. I had a lot of fun out there. And uh, for some people, as I pointed out to you afterwards, it was their first leasing exposure. I thought it went well. What would you think? <laughs> yeah, granted that it was their first exposure. I think they, they took it okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody threw anything. I tried to warn them to brace themselves, get ready for the full impact. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sitting here with Queen Catherine and little sister Lauren. And, Queen Catherine. Mm-hmm. I mean, little sister. Braddock really, <laughs> Braddock really classes the joint up mm-hmm. whenever you go in and, like, he's moderating and, like, all of a sudden, you're, I'm going to get up there and be a bumbling fool. But then it's like Braddock manages to keep his hands on the wheel and get us where we need. You did a really good job, Braddock. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. You did a great job yourself, Jay. And always a good excuse to go and act like we're professionals and then hang out for two or three days. 
Oh, yes, and we also had some very special people in the crowd. The uh, folks from Empower Texans were there, and, uh, you know, I think uh, that they had a lot of fun as well. I know that you had a chance to visit with them afterwards. They were upset with me uh, simply because I had pointed out that they were in the crowd. Usually, uh, people who are in a crowd and get a shout-out, they usually like that, right? Um, but all I was trying to do was uh, put the bartenders on alert that there might be underage people in the crowd trying to get a drink. And you succeeded. Uh, yeah. Let's pivot. It's so, called being classy, it's, and it's called helping. Well, and I did initiate with them. Like, we just, the name of the the name of the thing, the panel that we were on was the polarization. Mm-hmm. When you sure. don't see people as people, I took the opportunity to take some, some long strides over there in the gator boots and introduce myself and make sure mm-hmm. that we didn't necessarily have a problem. You know, anything beyond yeah, policy. Ended up, ended up with some nice pictures on Twitter of yeah. you and the Empower Texans boys. It was uplifting. We, we had a good time. So here's what I'm going to go to immediately is we're going to go across the board here. For those who are just joining the program for the first time, Braddock knows all the... I mean, he can really get in the weeds. I want for you as a listener's program to understand what's going on, laugh a little bit, be entertained, but also have a good understanding of what's going on. And sometimes we act like we're experts locally on things when there are people who know a little bit more about them. Let them give you the side, and then you can check it out for yourself. That's why we're thankful Scott Braddock's with us here on a weekly basis on Braddock on Texas. I remember back in the election, in the presidential election, all the rage was, well, Hillary Clinton is within nine of Trump. Texas is turning purple. But that yeah. seemed to me to be a very binary analysis. I, I, my take was just that uh, people didn't vote in the presidency but voted down ballot. Did uh, Were there Republicans in Texas and other offices that outperformed Trump? No question. And, uh, look, I think that it, you cannot take what happened in the 16 election and, and and take anything from that and then, and then put it on uh, future elections. In fact, uh, a few campaign professionals I was talking to right afterwards said, you know what, everything we learned from 16, we can just wad it up and throw it in the trash because there will never be another election like that. You had two people at the top of the ballot, Clinton and Trump, who both had the highest negatives in the history of a presidential race. You had the, the two most unpopular nominees ever. So whoever was going to win was going to be you know, hated all across the country uh, by just about half of the country. You've never seen it quite like that, quite as polarized uh, before. So if you look around the state uh, at places like Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, down on the border, uh, you've got some congressional races right now that are competitive for sure, and there are a lot of signs of them being competitive. Uh, but what people need to remember is that those Republicans who the Democrats are sort of, lick, you know, they're kind of licking their chops about those district, uh, districts right now, the ones held by uh, John Culberson, and Pete Sessions and Will Hurd, uh, those are the top uh, prospects for the Democrats. You know, they might pick off one of those or two. We'll just we'll have to see. Not making any predictions here. Um, but in '16, as Hillary Clinton was winning in those districts, in those areas, in those cities, and down on the border, um, you have to remember that those Republican congressmen were also simultaneously winning in those areas. So, to your point, there were a lot of Republicans who either were so disgusted that they just didn't vote at all. Uh, in some of those places. And then there were others who split their ticket. There were some who voted for Clinton and then voted for Republicans down ballot. If you go four years ago, 
uh, and you look at those same congressional districts, and you look at how the statewide Republicans uh, performed in those areas, looking at John Cornyn, looking at Governor Greg Abbott when he was up against uh, Wendy Davis, uh, it was the same story. Uh, you had uh, the Republicans uh, performing uh, just beautifully in those places while the Democrats lagged behind. Uh, so it could get competitive in those places, but uh, the Democrats might be getting ahead of themselves. Of course, in some of those places, they're still going through uh, their runoff races so that we can figure out who their nominees are going to be. Uh, meantime, uh, you've got Culberson raising a ton of money in Houston. The first quarter in a congressional race, he raised more than a uh, half million dollars uh, for his reelection. Uh, and up in Dallas, you have uh, Pete Sessions, who is starting to change his tone and his rhetoric on certain issues, uh, which tells me that he's starting to take his uh, November election seriously. The number one issue uh, that he's broken with Republican leadership in Texas on has to do with toll roads, which, of course, Republican primary voters across the state very wary of new toll roads. They don't want new toll roads. You've, you've heard all about that. Uh, but in the Dallas area, both Del uh, Republicans and Democrats have said that they are sick to death of sitting in traffic, and they want to see what they what they call managed toll lanes uh, on one uh, specific project there. Uh, and uh, grassroots Republicans and Democrats have said, with uh, basically with one voice, you almost never see this, but they all agree that uh, Governor Abbott is wrong, and Sessions now also says that the governor is wrong. So if you think that that has nothing to do with Sessions' re-election effort, i got a bridge I'd like to sell you. Well, no toll lanes, no toll lanes no, on it. No tolls uh, <laughs> required. Right, but, but uh, there is definitely the feeling out there that this could be the year uh, that the Republicans really have to batten down the hatches. As you, have, you and I have talked about this many times, Jay. We talked about it in East Texas. We've talked about it here on the show before. If there is a blue wave uh, across the country, uh, and uh, it is uh, also making its way across Texas. This is a state where the Republican Party has built the kind of fortifications needed to withstand the blue wave. We'll see if it crashes right into a red wall. Well, a couple of things to get into there is I've got a follow-up question, but I will say I am up here on the prairie, and we, yeah. don't, we don't know much about toll lanes here. We know that whenever we get home from road trips that we get, notices in the mail that the we were on a toll lane and we didn't know it <laughs> you didn't notice we, okay. no no uh, we were there are still uh, options to pay well we were lost in traffic like we've they're, never they're seen to let you know that yeah so whoa that was a, you know what charity you were right that was a toll lane wow i never even knew it we were everything was just going so fast and furious but you know i was sitting down with robert nichols state mm -hmm. senator jacksonville east texas uh, talked me through in, in my head's still hurting because of it. But the he Senate Transportation Chairman, who yeah. was also a former uh, Texas Transportation Commissioner, he he'll, he he could tell you more uh, about that than anybody could, and he knows more about that. He's forgotten more about that than you'll ever know. Well, I mean, I've forgotten a lot of that conversation, but my goodness, <laughs> of course. But wait, what he said though <laughs> yeah. was that here's basic principle: is you can either have a highway, or for the same money, you can get three toll roads, and. That seems to be the question in Dallas is do you want to alleviate, or I say Dallas, in most of Metro Texas, do you want to, Metro Texas, <laughs> you Metro Texan, let me say it a different way, most of urban Texas, uh, you yeah. can get uh, three or you can get one that you don't have to pay for. And it seems like one is just not fast enough with the kind of demographics we have. Well, if you look at the dollars uh, spent on uh, on what they call free lanes in the state, uh, which, by the way, no road is free, right? And you're never done paying for a road because once it's there, you have to maintain it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you look especially in Dallas-Fort Worth, and they, they've done some of this uh, in Harris County, down where Houston is as well, but in Dallas-Fort Worth, 
uh, they've been able to leverage over the last decade something like, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but this is pretty close, it's something like $8 billion in investment from the state in that region. They've leveraged that using uh, managed toll roads, uh, managed lanes, as well as just regular sort of toll roads, um, you know, with the booths on them or those uh, or, or those, text, uh, those uh, text tag signs that you saw or maybe that you didn't see. Sure, he said maybe that was a toll road. Um, they've, they've been able to take that $8 billion and leverage it into almost something around $25 billion, something like that, investment uh, in their roads. When you're driving around in DFW, especially when you're on the north side of the Metroplex, it's hard to get from point A to point B without driving on a toll road. Uh, but that's because they don't want to sit in traffic. Uh, this latest issue has to do with the lieutenant governor once again leading the governor uh, on the issue of toll roads. And Lieutenant Governor Patrick... Uh, saying that, look, voters in the state have said no to new toll lanes, and people in the Metroplex, and also in Austin, by the way, uh, need to back off of plans to build some of those. Uh, there's a project in Dallas called the 635E project, which would use managed toll lanes, also the 35 uh, uh, corridor in Austin. Uh, there's, a pro- there's a proposal to use managed toll lanes as well there, uh, but Abbott and Patrick said that the Texas Department of Transportation needed to back off of that and not do it. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, you have uh, sort of a simmering uh, controversy at the Department of Transportation where some of the commissioners there uh, have said, look, voters never said that we would never, ever use toll lanes again. Uh, and when you're trying to compete, uh, and not just compete nationally, but compete globally, why would you take a tool out of the toolbox that is used all across the planet? Toll roads are used everywhere. Uh, and look, it is a choice issue. Uh, people, you know, All these folks who say that they're for choice all the time, Jay. We hear it with uh, school choice. They're always talking about that. Uh, with this issue, um, it is a choice. Nobody is forced to drive on those toll lanes. They can just get there a whole lot faster if they'll put down a little bit uh, more of their own money. Yeah, put it on the ballot and let's see how they do. I will say yeah. this, though. I mean, congestion, I couldn't imagine. Well, I would listen to a lot of awesome podcasts, including Other Side of Texas, if if I had to sit yes, in and traffic. Yes, Texas Take as well, which okay. people can download on iTunes. That's true. Braddock's podcast as well with Mike Ward. But here's the other deal is I, I'm sympathetic with them that they have to sit in traffic. But guess what? People can literally die on our highways, highways that the Texas Miracle was based on out here. And so there are questions all over the state about transportation and what we're going to do about it. No question. And, you know, when folks in local areas are able to say that they are willing to invest more of their local cash to improve their infrastructure, it would free up money at the state level to be able to repair some of those roads that maybe not necessarily can be made into a toll, but definitely need to be fixed. I, I might actually pay a toll to get to Midland. I might actually well, do it. Let's reset then. There you go. Uh, let me, well, let me this follow up before we get into these next two things. It's going to take you a little bit long here, Bradley. Hope you got time. Um, yeah, go for it. So, who, so in this sense of, well, Texas going purple, I think we all hear that, and they're like, okay, whatever. But who, who has better optics, better facts to substantiate that claim? Texas politicians within state government or congressional politicians? If I understand your question uh, correctly... I've just heard myself in my head ask you that question, and I don't know what I mean. What I'm saying is state... I think I know what you mean. At the state level or the federal level? I think you're you're asking, do the congressional seats have a better chance to go uh, Democratic than state-level offices? I think uh, congressional is probably the answer, uh, and I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is probably the... This is probably the most important uh, reason. And by the way, we're probably only talking about 
three out of the what uh, nearly forty seats that, uh, that that Texas has in Congress. But I think at the congressional level, there is a lot of energy among Democrats because it's been an easy message to internalize for folks who are upset with Trump that if they want to be a check on this president, then what they need to do is run for Congress. And that's why you saw so many people running for Congress all over the state at a time when there were a lot of seats that opened up, a lot of open seats, a lot of retirements. Uh, you know, uh, for Lamar Smith's seat in the San Antonio area, uh, he's retiring and has been in Congress uh, for, uh, I think, our entire lives, uh, Jay. Uh, but uh, Lamar Smith, uh, there are about 40 people on the Republican and Democratic side, 40 people running for his uh, seat at one point uh, in Houston and Dallas and some of those seats that we mentioned before. There's just a whole passel of Democrats running uh, in those primaries, and that's why they have runoffs right now. Uh, so Democrats have internalized that message. They, they think if they want to be a check on Trump, then they need to be in Congress. Um, and so I'm not sure that the uh, sort of vitriol against Trump translates uh, down ballot. Uh, but here's what I can say about that. In places like Dallas, for example, if you have uh, Lupe Valdez, who is uh, the longtime sheriff there, who's now running for governor, uh, and she's also in a primary, uh, if she ends up as the nominee for governor for the Democrats, um, you know, and, and she's on the ballot uh, in Dallas County, uh, she got 60% or so in her last two reelects. Uh, that means, uh, and that's countywide in Dallas, of course, so that means that all of the Republicans who are from Dallas County ought to be very worried. People like Morgan Meyer and Matt Rinaldi and Rodney Anderson and uh, the uh, woman who uh, beat Jason Vialba, Lisa Luby Ryan, who uh, won uh, Vialba's uh, primary, uh, and and others there uh, are going to be, uh, Linda Coop and others are going to be looking at uh, November with a wary eye because uh, Democrats are coming. Um, and look, we, we talked about this in East Texas as well. I have seen uh, polling that puts as many as 15, uh, 15 and, and by the way, Previously, I thought it was going to be more like five or six. Now, 15 Texas House seats in play, uh, 95 Republicans right now in the House, 55 Democrats. And I could see a scenario where you could have more like 60 or 65 Democrats come back, uh, you know, in the Republican caucus uh, being smaller uh, when we go into the 2019 session. But when you look at the statewide uh, offices, um, it still looks like it is uh, it is a Republican, Republican state. Keep in mind that no matter how much money Beto O'Rourke is raising, and by the way, he's doing an admirable job. I mean, he's tapping into what I would say is the Bernie Sanders money machine. You know, lots of very small donors, people who are given like 5 and 35 $25, something like that, uh, and across a broad base of donors, and uh, his campaign says about 70% of those uh, were from here in Texas. Uh, he can keep going back to those people. If you're only giving 5 and $25 to somebody, you don't mind if the candidate asks for you to do that again. It's not like if you gave them a thousand dollars or uh, or twenty five hundred dollars or something like no. that. Um, so 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 he can keep going back and getting more money. But don't forget, Governor Abbott and Cruz, uh, but their campaigns plus the allied organizations that will be committed to their reelections, they will probably have something on the order of about seventy seven zero million dollars to deploy if needed prior to November. I would say they probably won't need to spend that much, but they'll have it on hand. Um, and, uh, you know, if you compare that to what the Democrats are able to raise in the state, I mean, the Democrats are basically uh, rubbing nickels together. At Scott Braddock on Twitter, if you'd like to follow along, let's let's then pivot. And I've got a pension question to ask you and how that plays into 
uh, unfunded liabilities. And we're going to wait on that till the Braddock on Texas report next week. But let's transition now as we close out with you. Houston Chronicles, Erica Greeter wrote a piece that uh, at times was critical of Democratic Governor candidate Lupe Valdez, the aforementioned, for not date uh, for not dating. That's uh, there are a lot well, of people well, are going to get a great well, laugh Not debating the other candidate, Andrew White, and yeah. she referenced an interview that we did here at the other side of Texas with. But O'Rourke, and O'Rourke said this, I want to make an informed decision with regards to the Texas governor's race and the Democratic side. Um, I just don't have a good enough idea about what they stand for and their differences, said they need to have a debate. Well, it seems to me, Scott Braddock, and this is just the view from the Caprock. All right, I'm listening. And you're inside it. So I'm in your backyard whenever I see this. But it seems to me that Abbott would have a much tougher time with Andrew White than he would with Lupe Valdez in a general in Texas because I think that Andrew White can make some arguments towards the middle and and begin to peel some people off kind of in an Aurorkian fashion. I can't believe I just said that on radio, Aurorkian fashion. Uh, This this is interesting. But uh, (laughs) arguments that Lupe Valdez Uh could not make, arguments about transportation, this, that, and other. But it seems to me that if Abbott were preoccupied with White, then the heat just turns up on Cruz with O'Rourke because people, because they are not going to be able to put the sort of resources and efforts behind one another's campaigns. Disagree? Well, let's be realistic. Uh, so in the governor's war chest, there is more than 40 million now. that can easily be 50 million, five zero million uh, before November. But realistically, how much money do you think Andrew White can raise by November? You ask that rhetorically because I got no. No, I'm not asking point. rhetorically. I'm asking. What, I mean, what do you think? Um, two, maybe three million. Um, maybe, maybe ten. And that's probably with putting ten. a million of his own in. Okay. I just thought. I guess the reason I ask is I don't think it's a question of resources and whether you know either White or uh, Valdez has any. None of it has anything to do with the resources. Um, what it has to do with maybe, and where you may have a, a good point here is that Andrew White is definitely better spoken. He certainly knows the issues. If you've seen the interviews that uh, White and Valdez have given, uh, for example, the television station... Is that why she won't debate them, Scott Braddock? She has not done very is well. Is that why uh, she, she won't, though? I would I would guess that's the answer. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah and, uh, and she has not done very well. Um, I, I remember uh, when she was uh, asked about her accomplishments at the sheriff's office. Uh, she was on WFAA uh, television in Dallas, and uh, the first thing she pointed to had to do with uh, dogs in the jail, had to do with, um, you know, foster dogs uh, in the jail. And mm-hmm. people were wondering, you know, why did she, you know, it's a good program, but why did she point to that uh, as one of her major uh, accomplishments? Uh, and, you know, when she's been asked about the way the state budget works, it doesn't seem like she has a good handle on it. Uh, Erica brought up a good point, I think, which is that she's not sure uh, what Valdez thinks about NAFTA, although I would assume that she is in favor of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, on the issues, and as far as being, and this is the way one Democrat said it to me, and this was a Democrat who supports Valdez, by the way, uh, they had said, look, yes, Andrew White's definitely a better quote-unquote politician, uh, but in this year, um, when the Democrats don't have any uh, resources to deploy, really, um, at least as far as down-ballot from uh, what O'Rourke can bring to the table, uh, the resources may not matter uh, as much as, um, and, and some people won't like hearing this, they may not matter as much as 
identity politics. Uh, what uh, a lot of Democrats are looking for is not a white guy, but a Latina. Hmm. Well, we're going to get you out of here, Scott Braddock, editor of Quorum Report. Go to quorumreport.com. Get inside all the info, all the news clips you need to know, all the stories you need to know before you go to breakfast, lunch, and before you come home. Then get to that for you there at cornreport.com. But I just mentioned in the monologue, we are going to have an exclusive squares game. We're going to be selling squares. We're going to put up the money towards charity on the next Speaker of the House. You want to buy a square? I think we lost him. We lost him? How did we lose him? We bailed on him? We bailed. Okay, well, we'll ask him that in our next edition. You know, you're how old? I'm 24. 24. Mm-hmm. And I've had people say this. To, you know, I, I saw some, the pictures on the website, and she sounds really cute. Does she have a boyfriend? Oh and like, well, you know, she's like little sister. So go, don't go any further, or I'll have to. <laughs> I'll have to give you some knuckle sandwiches to eat. I got like a knuckle sandwich buffet for you if you come at Little Sister. But, I appreciate that. So, so they lay off at that point. But in the same in the same instance as I say, don't don't you even get such a thought? I had an idea. What's okay? What's that? So we could have on the program, like you're close to graduation. Yeah. You know the national the the natural turn of things. We could have on the program, we could, we could have like an NCAA tournament of guys. Okay. We get 64 guys in line. Wow. They could, oh, we could take the best 64, and we could have like a series of Little Sister Love Line. Like, it could be the <laughs> Little Sister Love Line. And like, here's, here's the game this week, guys. What meal would you prepare for Little Sister at your home if, if you went out? Right, and so, what do you think about doing a little sister love line? I I think that could be pretty cool. I mean, it'd be nice to have some guys try to woo me or court me. Um, mm-hmm. And and you come across the perfect guy on other side of Texas. Um, I think so. Um, but I mean, who knows? I I'm kind of picky. I I enjoy being single. You know, I I look up to those women who are like thirty two, no kids, not married, and they're they're like plowing through their career. They're just killing it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I aspire to be. But maybe you could find a guy who could a- accommodate all that. Maybe right right here, like we we'll could see. go through a field of sixty four. Absolutely. Do you well, think we could even get sixty four applicants? Little sister love line. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, don't undersell yourself. <laughs> Huh. Well, well. So, okay. I want you to keep thinking about that. Okay, I'll think L- about little it. Little sister love yeah. line, other side of Texas. I mean, where else are you gonna get an accent like that? No kidding. Uh, yesterday, believe it or not, 1935 was the anniversary of Black Sunday. Black Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Wait, is that the, because of the massacre in the church? No, no, no. One of the most devastating storms of the dust of the Dust Bowl. Mm-hmm. Where winds kicked up millions of pounds of dirt, and dust was so dense, uh, and I'm getting this from Dr. Paul on Twitter. And I'm sorry, I don't know Dr. Paul's last name right now, but uh, it was so dark that eyewitnesses believed that the end was nigh. 
And there's a great book about the Dust Bowl, Worst Hard Time. We've got a request in to the author of that book for them to come on to the program. But man, I mean, you just talk about a group of people like, why are West Texans the way that they, well, there was a Santa Ana thing, and then we named all our counties after Alamo heroes, and then immediately we went into Quantum Parker and the Comanches, and then Dust Bowl, Great Depression, yeah. Great Depression Dust Bowl. I mean, that's why we are the way that we are. Uh, I don't know if you saw it this weekend. I don't like to talk about national things, but I will bring this thing up. Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Does this program, it's like this wild-eyed tinfoil hat program he does, InfoWars on Twitter, and on Saturday night, I haven't had a call from Trump in six months. He said in his particularly hoarse tone, this is the Washington Post, and it was because President Trump had just announced strikes on Syria, and with that, Jones was out. He said, they have broken Trump, and later promised again to deliver a message to the president, if you ever call me again, I'm going to tell you, and this is a little Randy Rachelman yeah. Savage, admittedly, but I'm going to tell you something, Hogan, what you going to do when I tell you I'm ashamed of you? With a Trump White House, Jones becomes a media headline regularly, like a next-generation Pat Robertson. Yes, he is, well, a next-generation Pat Robertson, come on, that's an insult to Robertson. Like, that's not, come on, maybe a next-generation, like, Jerry Falwell Jr., and, you know, I, I got a problem with these guys because, you know, I've done the theology. I've read, I mean, you want to talk about Athanasius, Boethius, let's go. Like, like I'm as rock ribbed as anybody when it comes to respecting church history and fidelity to, to Christian doctrine on, you know, through whatever age. But that's, like, Jerry Falwell, that's when you began the road that we're on where you had the moral majority just some straight talk here on the other side of texas but that's whenever you had the moral majority form and you began to uh, you began to taper moral conservatives social conservatives with economic libertarians for lack of a better word and libertarians saw immediately whoa this is a great opportunity for us we can throw falwell out get the voters because, you know, he's talking about the end being nigh or whatever. And then we can exploit their economic interests. And so, you know, like the stat is that 13% of, of people actually agree down the board with the Republican Party platform. Especially when it comes to economics. Well, that's where all that comes in. Due credit to Barry Goldwater, who at that time, in the early 60s, and then afterwards into the 80s, and everybody saw this emerging, said that it's the Christian response. It's the, the responsibility of every good Christian to give Jerry Falwell a good kick in the pants. I've censored myself. That's pretty funny. But that was, anyhow. So, no, no, no. That may be a next generation Jerry Falwell Jr. Jones had his producers put up headlines about Syria from the Drudge Report. As Jones read them, his voice began to break. I just feel like I had my girlfriend break up with me. His girlfriend. <laughs> the left will make jokes, but this ain't funny, man. He was doing a good job, and that's what makes it so bad. The deep states got him. I'm quoting for myself there. If he had been a piece of crap from the beginning, it wouldn't be so bad. At this point, Jones appears to be openly crying. 
We made so many sacrifices and he's crapping all over us. It makes us sick. Sandy Hook wasn't real. Now, this is just me going off. Sandy Hook wasn't real. 9-11 wasn't real. Parkland wasn't real. The Germans never really bombed Pearl Harbor. There were never Comanches in West Texas. They were Soviets planted after World War II. And their skin was baked in Chernobyl using tanning beds. And they taught them Lathian dialects and, and commie equestrian skills. Matter of fact, Bluebell was never closed down. Warren Buffett just got hungry. <laughs> he was a little disappointed. But, you know, even more disappointed, go to the other side of it, David Frum, all these sanctimonious Bush guys, George W. Bush guys now are like, oh, you know, he says, he quotes this, he sends out this tweet the other night about Syria and about the bombings. The lives of Americans and the peace of the world are in the hands of a man you wouldn't trust to hold your beer money. Like, okay, so... Who came up with this whole Iraq thing and who wrote the speeches for it? Because that seemed like a real great idea. Like, whoever did that, I wouldn't even let them hold my Keystone Light money, <laughs> much less my good beer money. Yeah. But that was from. So, anyhow, were you born there, Queen Catherine? Were you born in 92 or later? Uh, no, I wasn't. Uh, much later. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. For a free and hassle-free estimate, call Lubbock File Room at 806-744-7666, 744-7666. Big fan following, blue-collar Bill. We get somebody who can speak from the blue-collar vein and knows a lot about it, and that's blue-collar Bill. If you're just joining the show, I want to set him up before he comes in. This report... There's a report out, I don't know if you guys heard about it, within the last couple of weeks. Almost three-quarters of millennials admit they have no idea how to change a tire. A poll of 2,000 drivers revealed that while more than 4 in 10 of those aged 36 and above could confidently change a tire on the side of the road, just 27% of 18 to 23-year-olds reckon that they could do the same. What? Uh, are, I mean, are I we can't done? say anything. Or are we just done? <laughs> I, I, you, you, I don't you know. You got AAA. To, I got AAA. So you didn't even try to change it. But I think I, I could try. I mean, I know that you're supposed to do it in like a star pattern but when I, you put uh, it back on. Wow, look at you. Well, I mean, yeah. I know that. But I feel like there's like an exemption it. for a lady. Like a man should pull over on the side of the road. I Maybe the winner of the, the Little Sister Love Line Maybe contest. Maybe so. But I think there used to be an exemption for women. Maybe about, maybe even like 15 years yeah, ago. Yeah, but you guys brought this on yourselves. I did not. Okay. All right. <laughs> I did not. All right. <laughs> so uh, go out with Blue Collar Bill. Blue Bill, how are you? Doing great. How about you? Bill, good. We just have a few, few minutes here, but I have to get your reaction. What happens in the country other than, like, 20 years from now, the plumber being the new lawyer? Because they can get whatever they want an hour. Like, is this whole thing going to fall apart whenever the whenever the the boomers who are worth their salt pass away? Like, is the country just going to fall apart? What are we going to do? There is a theory to that effect. Uh, is it your theory? I- I know, actually, uh, my brother has given me a book, and I cannot think of the author's name to save my life, but it's about that very subject, and it's called The Death of Expertise, hmm. and how we as a society uh, shun expertise, and, and those who are particularly good at what they do, and uh, we all seem to dwindle down to the lowest common denominator, and, and I believe that's exactly what you're seeing. So, like, the house begins to fill up with water, and everybody says, well... 
Oh, somebody told me one time there was a main out in the alley, but I don't know what to do about it. So you just make a, you just get out an inflatable boat, and that's your new that's your new couch. Like nobody knows how to fix anything. No, 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 no. It, 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 and I used to see a lot of that when I was in the automotive business, and uh, it, it, it's sad and, and frustrating. But you know, for me, it was very beneficial. Um, because they couldn't do anything for themselves, they made me enough money that I was able to retire at 49. When was the last time you changed one on your big rig on the 18-wheeler? Uh, man, it's been a few weeks since I've done an oil change. It's been about 36 hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm supposed to, I was supposed to have done this one again this morning myself, and I, hope, I will be doing it tomorrow morning. So, if I were Lubbock Independent School District or one of these other school districts, I would come to other side of Texas and say, hey, how do we get a hold of Blue Collar Bill? Because they're doing some great work, in my opinion, on spending tax dollars wisely to put forward a, a working class that we'll need in the future, opening all these tech schools. But I would have Blue Collar Bill, like, right there on the stage, like, yelling and hollering about how important this is. Because kids don't know trades, but you've got schools going towards this. Like, why in the world are kids graduating with $50,000 of college debt, going into a degree path, or going into a professional path that has nothing to do with their degree, and nobody can change a tire? Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's crazy. And it, I, I think it had to do a lot, Jay, with our parents' generation, uh, they didn't get to go to college, and so they were they were bent that you know Generation X was going to go to college, kind of whether they wanted to or not. I know I did. I graduated from Tech, wouldn't have went and wouldn't have finished except that it it pleased my parents. Mm-hmm. So so I did that. Uh, and these kids need to be looking at trades. There is a deficit in trades. When I when I left automotive business a year ago, I couldn't find a skilled automotive technician to save my life to come work for me. Mm-hmm. A skilled automotive technician can make eighty to $100,000 a year all day long. They can write their own check. It's one of, that and nursing is the only two jobs in the world that I'm aware of where you quit your job at noon, drive to the next nearest city any direction, and have a job before or Or a mechanical engineer guy, a sub, or uh, you know, electrician. The, the plumber, the electrician. Like, hey, where'd you get that nice bass boat? Are you a member of the country club? No, I'm not in the country club, but I, you know, I got 400K in the bank right now, and I've only been working for like 10 years. What do you do? Oh, I pull wires. I'm an electrician. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you, I've got a buddy who's an electrician here in Lubbock, and he can't find help. He actually turns away work because he cannot find enough help mm, to do it all. Mm. So, Bill, 60 uh, seconds. Same way H- HVAC and, and controls. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, but that's a whole other. We'll get into some blue-collar working-class stuff later. 60 seconds, what's something you learned last week? Putting you on the spot. Something I learned last week is you shouldn't, Decide you're going to restore a jet ski if you don't know anything about jet skis. <laughs> oh, you learned that yourself. Oh, yes, I did. Hmm. <laughs> I thought, well, it's, it's got a two-stroke engine in it like a dirt bike or a weed eater. How hard could it be? Well, that's oh, some humility good. given the segment we just had. Like, I just built you up to be like, well, you, you, need, a, you need a new pyramid? Call Bill Varner. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, you know, and... and, and that's exactly what I did. I, I went and I, I, I downloaded the shop manual, 
and I got out my tools, and I, I, I taught myself how to read, and away we go. And we're, we're going to have this thing running. We're going to have the other side of Texas official jet ski running. Oh, man. Where are we going to run it? Yeah, like, can I borrow it? We're going to run oh, it yeah, down at uh, Playa Lake. Oh, we have a Playa yeah. Lake challenge. You, we could have Little Sister Love Line, like the final two, have to run Blue Collar Bill's jet ski on the biggest Playa Lake. And that's contingent upon what the weather's been like. But they could race for Little Sister's heart. There Boom. you go. Boom. Done. Uh, th- there you go. Or we could put Little Sister out on the water on the jet ski and let them race to her. Oh, yeah, swim. Oh, I'd like to see who's the better nice. swimmer. Backstroke. <laughs> Let me get that Hill County Let's backstroke. Let's see how, how good, good of shape you actually are. Yeah, it, it, yeah and then when they get like pretty close, she moves. <laughs> he is he is blue-collar Bill. Thanks for taking time out, buddy. You'll <laughs> be good. Speaking of cars and knowing what to do about cars, and I tell this story, but I know we've got a lot of new listeners coming in into a weekday format. Last August, I was driving home from the station. I was going down in Lubbock Highway 84, turns into Avenue Q, all alone in my truck, and there was a, a monsoon, like it was drought, 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 and then a 100-year flood, or maybe like a 10-year flood. And out of nowhere, somebody hit me, pulled out from a stop sign, nailed me. And I don't know if you've ever been T-boned, but there are some thoughts that come to your mind immediately. And one is, oh, man... What happened? I can't believe I'm okay. Are they okay? And then you think, call 911, and your next one is, they will not get away with this. I need to call my insurance agent. And then, once you look at it, and you know that your that your frame's been turned into a diamond, you think, I need to call my car guy. I didn't have that car guy. I did the first three, didn't know how to call on number four, but I do now. Derek Beard has had 20 years in the car business. He's worked the pavement on the lots. He's installed the accessories and he's financed the deals. And now he's got his own dealership, Shift Automotive Group. That's Shift with an exclamation mark. Shift Automotive Group in Lubbock. Derek and his team are friends and honest brokers, especially when the unexpected comes a rarity in the car business. Real cars for real people at really great prices. Shift into something that you can trust. It's Shift Automotive Group just outside the West Loop on 58th Street in the Hub City. Check them out at shiftlubbock.com. That's 806 806- Nine nine three one zero nine four shift lubbock.com people like to listen to me because they feel like i'm shooting them down the middle shooting you all the way down the middle if you would just shift you can have a great car buying experience this week line up some things tomorrow beto o'rourke wednesday ross ramsey thursday surprise guest gonna hold that there friday brandon darby and i in studio you love you some prairie populism you've come to just the right place hope you enjoyed the program all this up on other side of texas be one of the thousands who are logging on to that website i mean thou like thousands of thousands logging on that website more and more and you can see why they do their other side of texas until then thank you for listening and don't forget as you've come in tell a friend the podcast is zero dollars all that there, other side of Texas.com for Queen Catherine and Little Sister. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you tomorrow, right here, AM 580, 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock. 
building owners and managers, sometimes you have good engineering, good equipment, and a good installing contractor, but you're here